All right, tonight we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 2 Thessalonians. And I don't know how far we're going to get. I studied well, all three chapters, whoop de doo but um, I don't know how slow I want to go with this. Um, and I don't know how, well, I don't know how slow God wants to go with this. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll get as far as we get. No promises. Um, 2 Thessalonians, what a, um, what a wonderful compliment, obviously, to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, Paul wanted to get across to the folks um, in Thessalonica, that church that only was there, he was only there three or four weeks is all, um, wanted to get across to them, you're okay, rapture hasn't happened yet, just because Christ died doesn't mean that you've lost out on your opportunity, you know, and try to explain them a little bit more in depth the understanding of when Christ was going to come, second coming, rapture, all that, and he kind of summed that up. Now he's going to hit on tonight, another follow-up, um, with the coming of the Antichrist versus uh, the second coming of Christ and our rapture. Okay, so he's going to hit on that again just to really clarify. And so this young church, um, they're only six, seven months old at this point. Um, he spent three weeks there, has been gone for six or seven months, wrote these two letters, we think within a year of each other, um, just to get them more grounded. But other than this, he doesn't have much to say to them, which is amazing in and of itself. There is something special about a brand new born-again believer. Not that we all get old and crusty, but we kind of get old and crusty sometimes. But a brand new born-again believer, their, their hearts are super tender. And they're open to everything God wants to do. And they are literally, not literally, they are figuratively flying hey, by gang, the seat of you? their pants. You know, just, I don't know what God wants to do next. And they're just taking leaps of faith, leaps of faith. And it's so refreshing. Um, it's so refreshing to see. And that's where these folks are. Uh, that's where these folks are. So you've got this gentle church, this loving church, which he's going to document here for us, um, uh, but on fire for the Lord. But they're being persecuted tremendously. Um, probably can't fathom it ourselves, but a lot of tribulation they're going through. And so with that first letter of Paul saying, no, you guys are okay. You haven't missed it yet. Their, their second question probably was, we don't know for sure, but was, then what's with all this pain and suffering? And he's going to explain that to him here. He begins in verse 1 with Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. And already I'm going to take a break. There's just something about having good brothers in the Lord with you or sisters in the Lord alongside of you. And these are the same two guys that were with him with the first. So obviously they haven't departed. It's only been a year or so, and they're still with him. And they're good brothers, so much so that he doesn't just say, Paul, I'm writing to you in authority. I've got these two guys with me. There are others around Paul um, that don't get mentioned that maybe aren't as influential or, or as much as support, or he's not sure where they stand with the Lord or with him, to be honest with you, because later on he writes that several of them leave his side and move on and don't like him and have moved on to different groups or whatever. Um, different followings, or even walk back to the Lord. But these guys, Sylvanus and Timothy, just these young guys, um, just so solid. Um, they're helping Paul. They're delivering letters for Paul. They're being left behind in some places to establish these churches with leadership. Um, he's given them great responsibility in that area. Um, and, and they're just nice. It's so nice to have those folks alongside of you. You know who they are. They're the first people that popped into your mind. These are the brothers or the sisters in your life. You're like, I'm, you know, I'm really grateful for them. I probably don't tell them enough, but I'm really grateful for them. You know, um, they're a blessing. And so Paul mentions them in that greeting to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Those always go together. 
He wants to make sure that those are inseparable. That Jesus Christ and the Father are inseparable. They're, they're one and the same and worth the same amount of glory. The, the glory due to them is equal, in other words. Um, of course, Jesus always does the will of the Father, and the Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus. But when Paul writes, by the unction and power of the Holy Spirit, that's why the Holy Spirit's not mentioned, because the Holy Spirit will never speak of himself, so he's never going to say that. So he tells Paul to write this, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That church is in those two. He's in them. And he wants them to know that. You guys, as a body of believers, are in Christ, and you're in the Father. That's reassuring to know. Um, that's probably all we need to be told every morning. It would be one of the most encouraging things you could ever write on your mirror or a little note that you stick in your sandwich bag for your husband or your wife as she's off to do whatever. Is, you know, remember, you're in Christ. From that, there's so much ministry that can be done. From that understanding that we're in Christ, so much ministry can be done with, with reckless abandonment. I don't, I don't care what the world has to throw at me. I don't care what man says about me. I know this, that I'm in Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts those two together again. Grace and peace are hand in hand, and they come from not only the Father, but from Jesus. You get grace from God, and you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. He couples those together and wants them to know that. From, that's from God. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God. What we hear about you is that you're so loving, no matter where, all of you. He says all of you because in other epistles, he's had to call people out, call a few people out. For the most part, you guys are great, but you two need to get along, or, and he says that to them. But when it comes to this church, you guys just love each other. It comes from grace. That love comes from grace. When you have an understanding of God's grace towards you, it naturally comes out as grace towards other people. And you love them. You love them where they are. You love them in the process that they're going through with the Lord as he's, uh, as he's refining them, as he's conforming them into his image. There's grace. There's so much grace. Um, of course, we have that. We understand that for the world. We want to give them grace because they want them to know that the loving kindness of Christ leads men to repentance. We want that. But grace for each other in the body of Christ. Just grace. Um, and they see that in them. We know that that. You're, you're, we pray always for you. The, the way this translation words it is, it, we are bound to thank God always for you. Bound is Paul's way of saying, I'm, I'm forced to. We love you because Christ tells us we have to. That's not what it means. I'm bound to do this because I can't, I can't help but do this. Your love for each other and what we hear about you, your reputation, it, we have to praise God for you. We have to pray for you and thank God for you. Your faith is growing exceedingly. And it does. Faith grows. I don't just have faith. I don't just acquire more faith. There isn't a way of saying things that gives me more faith. Faith just grows. And it grows from God's word reading it, knowing it, but it also grows from obeying it. When you can trust God, you believe his word, you begin to trust him more and more, and you begin to act accordingly, your faith grows. Hey, you know, I prayed that, and then it happened, and my faith and my trust in God grows a little bit more. And Paul hears about this. Your faith is growing exceedingly. He's so excited to hear about this. After six months, six months later, your faith is amazing. 
The love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. That's what he hears about. It's a loving church. They support each other. They build each other up. They're not tearing each other down. They're not fighting like, well, the Corinthians, you know. But I love you guys because all I hear about is how gracious you are towards each other. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God. And there's nothing like a spiritual dad boasting about you to other people, you know. I just said that today, you know, let another man's lips praise you. A brother said that to me just before I stepped up here. And that's nice to know. It's nice to receive that. Um, and so Paul tells them, you know, I don't boast. When he talks about himself, I don't boast in anything but Jesus Christ, right? When he talks about himself, but when it comes to other people, he doesn't say enough good things about them. And that it goes for all of us in all areas of our life. You can't say enough good things about people around you. You just can't. You can't overdo it. I don't mean to oversell them. You can't. You can't oversell your kids. You can't oversell your spouse. You can't oversell your coworkers. You can't overdo it. This world is desperate for that. The world, Satan and his cronies are out there just tearing people down, destroying people, trying to rip them apart. And we are the only entity out there by the power of the Holy Spirit that's able to build people up properly. Not in ego, but in truth and in love and from grace. We're called to that. You can't do that enough. And he says, I hear about that and I'm so excited. We boast about you guys. And so when he hears about them loving each other and building themselves up, he lets them know that we're out there building you up and your reputation among all the churches. We'd love for them all to be like this. For your patience and faith in all your persecution and tribulations that you endure. So there's our subject. Your patience and faith in all your persecution and tribulations. We know that you're going through it. We know that you're going through the ringer. That's not uncommon for a believer. Peter tells us about that. Don't count it strange when fiery trials come upon you. Don't be surprised by these things. They're going to happen. If they hated me, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. It goes hand in hand. It's normal. And yet, there's a way to go through these things that Paul says is is noble. Patience and faith. I see the patience and faith as you go through these things. That's That's exciting to hear. Um, Everybody goes through tribulations um, and everybody goes through these difficult times, these persecutions, but how we go through them is just as important as whether we go through them or not. I I, want to go through them well with patience and faith. Um, And I hear about it, he says. You endure. Um, Which is, he says, the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Um, The word manifest is something we probably don't use very often. A better word would be this is the plain truth or the obvious evidence of you um, and God's, God's judgment of God. In other words, as he's moving into chapter 2, which is going to talk about the judgment of God being poured out in a Christ-rejecting world, what you're going through, the hatred that you're feeling, the persecution and the tribulations that the world or Satan is bringing upon you is proof of why he needs to come and do what he's going to do. What you're doing is building up a case against the judgment that God's going to bring against them. Remember, judgment comes from a judge. And so God, when he shows up as a judge... Not as the Savior, not as the Lamb, but as the Lion. This is the evidence he uses against them. Okay? So what you're going through is the, is the evidence of God's righteous judgment 
Um, I don't know if that makes it better, but it, I would think it does for them. As they're debating in their mind, is this from God? Is this something we've done wrong? Or is this from man and Satan? Because they wonder, that's the question here. He goes, no, 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 what you're going through is the evidence we're going to bring to, to court when their judgment comes upon them. This is proof, okay, um, what you're feeling. It's, just, you're, it's ongoing um, until God shows up. And so it's the, it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. So you're being troubled by somebody else, just more proof of that, and God's troubling, going to trouble them, okay? Um, so encouragement. So I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe you're being troubled by people. Maybe there is some things going on in your life um, where you're wondering, is this because I've done something wrong? Uh, or is this truly just persecution for me having been faithful to God all these years? Um, hopefully this is an answer from God for you, from his word, by the Holy Spirit to your heart. Um, they're going to be troubled. God will take care of them. Now, he wants them saved. Don't misunderstand. But if they don't, there is judgment waiting for them. And there is a tribulation and a trouble coming upon them by God. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it's going to happen. And this ain't it, he's telling them. You're not in the great tribulation. This is not coming from God. This is what it looks like. You'll be with him on his side, coming back on those horses with him, which he describes in Revelation. That's who we are. Um, you're going to be with us. So this isn't it. So he's trying to encourage him. You know, um, this isn't the great tribulation. These, verse 9, shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. Because our testimony among you was believed. So let's go backwards through that. Because you believe what we told you about Jesus Christ, you're coming back with him in that day. Um, and those who come against you because you've believed his word and they haven't believed his word, there's going to be everlasting destruction. It's important to know that doctrine about everlasting destruction. We love to talk about grace and love and peace and joy and the saving power of Jesus Christ and the cross. But it's also important to know what he's saving us from. He's saving us from this everlasting destruction. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of churches that are teaching against this, that it's uh, figurative. Um, it's not literal. Um, this is a picture um, this is something he's using to teach, uh, and, and they're teaching what they, what would, I guess the best way is, is to put it is it's uh, anathema, or not anathema, annihilation, um, that you just disappear, that you just stop existing, and that there is no everlasting. It's not what the Bible teaches at all. It may be what other people would feel comfortable with as Christians, that it's just annihilation, you just kind of disappear, but the, the thought for them of eternal destruction is I just, they just can't imagine it. They don't understand it. Well, I don't know if I need to help you with this or not. Because we're... I'll give you an example. We're, we found a squirrel out here, a baby squirrel, that got thrown out of the tree up there, out of one of these cottonwoods up here, all by himself. You know, So we took him in. Because it's kind of built in. Uh, Caleb, my grandson, found it with his mom. And, and uh, they found it, and of course... My daughter found it, and then all my kids heard about it, and they're looking at me like, we're, we're taking this thing in, right? I'm like, well, no, we're not. But yes, we are. Yes, that's exactly my plan. You know, 
So we have this squirrel now that we're trying to nurse back to health. I think it's doing fine and all. The reason I bring that up is because as believers in Jesus Christ, you just have that natural desire to help the young or the innocent or the afflicted. And so when you hear about and you're reading God's word in that state, and his grace and his mercy, and everybody can be saved, and you're out there telling about Christ, and you should, that's how we should feel. When you hear about everlasting destruction, it kind of is like, hmm. I don't want that for anybody. I didn't want it for myself. I don't, of course we don't. Let me help you with the everlasting part. And it's, just, it's very simple. We discussed it earlier, but it, I don't know if it was Sunday or last Wednesday, but God is outside of time. It's everlasting because there's no time. You, it's just a condition. Everybody's going to live forever or die forever, but forever is forever. It's, it's outside of time. Once we get outside of this and we move on to I don't know how else to put it. You've got two places to go, and it's outside of time. Both heaven is forever, because it's outside of time, but so is the everlasting destruction. It's outside of time. It's just a perpetual place that you've decided while here on earth to go to. I do not want God. I will not have this man rule over me. I reject the saving grace of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. I don't want that. Then you don't have to, and this is where it is. This is where you end up. You then get punished for all those things. Since you didn't want your punishment placed on Christ and you reject that, then it remains on you. Okay, so that's where the everlasting comes from. It's outside of time. I don't know if that helps or not. Um, It's not going to be any easier for those folks. It doesn't diminish it at all. It just helps us understand why, why it is. Uh, But it doesn't help with the idea of it. Um, That's why we tell people about Jesus. We tell people about Jesus not to make their life better here. Those are symptoms that may open their heart and be more receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we tell people about Jesus because everlasting destruction is waiting for them. That is the reason we tell people about grace and the cross and Christ's sacrifice for us. Um, Keep that in mind as you're sharing because our, our instinct is, and my instinct is, when I hear someone talk about the rough life they're having, well, Jesus can help you with that. And that is true. But that's not the primary reason people come to Christ, to straighten out their lives down here. It's so temporary. We tell people about Jesus because you have a death sentence waiting for you. You are not going to be in heaven with the Savior because you've rejected God. And all of your actions and all of your sins prove it. The way you live your life shows us that. And he knew that, but loved you and didn't want you to be separated from him eternally. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you so that you can now live with him eternally, which is what he's always wanted for you. I never wanted you to leave me or forsake me, but you left me and forsook me. And so I found a way to bring you back um, as a loving father. But if you reject the way back, that is it. And so that's the primary reason. So keep that in mind as you're sharing the gospel. This everlasting punishment that seems so difficult is, I mean, it it is our motivator. It is why we tell people about this. It is why I love Christ, because he knew that was waiting for me, and he saved me from it. All right, verse 11. Therefore, because of everything I've said to you and encouraged you, therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all... uh, to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says all that, I believe, just to make sure we all understand that as much as he brags about their church, he can brag about their church because of the Savior that's in them or that they're in. That's who he's bragging about. The work of Christ in this group in Thessalonica is unbelievable. Look at the way it's lived out in their lives. It's amazing. But it is him that people are seeing. It is him that Paul is boasting about as he looks at them. You guys are light and salt. You are an amazing. I pray that you be found worthy of his calling, and it is a calling to walk in while we're still alive here, to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Not just the work of faith. Never forget that word power. We get afraid of that word sometimes because the power comes from the Holy Spirit living in us and working through us and gifting us and equipping us with supernatural abilities. And some people just have a, oh yeah, they struggle with that. It is with power that we go out. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I live my life and walk by faith. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to do and fulfill all his good pleasure of his goodness. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are ineffective and can't do these things. And so Paul prays that for them. And we need to pray that for each other. Not only for ourselves, which is good. God, fill me with your spirit. But pray that for everybody. God, fill our fellowship with the Holy Spirit and everybody in it. Baptize. And if you've got to name them by name, name them by name. I'd appreciate it if you'd name me by name. Baptize J.D. with your Holy Spirit. He's a little fleshy sometimes. Fill him afresh. I think he's running empty. Please pray that for me. And I'll pray that for you as well. Chapter 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our great gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let me clarify that with you, he says. I don't want you to think that he's already come. He hasn't. Um, He said that in his first letter, but he's going to really drive it home. I want to write to you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he separates the second, and our gathering together to him. Two separate events. The gathering, the rapture, the caught-upness, remember we learned that last week? That happens, and then the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ, is different. Not the same event. We get gathered together, the great tribulation takes place, and we return with him. That's the second coming of Christ. Let me explain that to you. Because, either by spirit, small s, not the Holy Spirit, but some spirit is trying to discourage you into thinking that you're living in the great tribulation period, and there is, and some people think we're living in the thousand-year reign of Christ. That's the Jehovah's Witness just down the street. They believe that, that we're in the millennial reign of Christ, that Christ is in a secret room in Brooklyn ruling the world right now, and that Satan is bound. That's what they think. So if a spirit tells you that, don't believe them. If a, if, if a word by some person tells you that, don't believe them. Or even someone writes you a letter, don't believe them. As if it's from us, as though the day of Christ had come. It's not from us. It's not from God. It's a different spirit. It's a different gospel. It's a different Jesus. Be careful of that. Let no one deceive you. In other words, it's up to us whether we let ourselves be deceived or not. We have the word of God. We don't have to be deceived. Let no one deceive you by any means, any of those three options, spirit, letter, or by word, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. 
That's the second coming of Christ comes after all of that, he says. Um, and the falling away has to happen first. Falling away. I bet if you look right above your chapter 2 in your Bible, it says what? The great apostasy, right? That's how it's been taught. It's not necessarily what it means. That's what it's been assumed to mean. This great falling away from the faith. All these people are leaving the faith. A bunch of people are going to leave Jesus Christ. That may happen, but that's not necessarily what that word means. The word there is actually ap- apostia. Okay, it's a, it's, a, it's a word. And it means, if you break it up, the, uh, the, ap- uh, the, the apos is away. And the second part is standing. It simply means standing away. It doesn't mean standing away from the faith. We've added that. We've come to that conclusion that people, and it, and it helps when you teach. Can you see, brethren, all the people leaving Christ? You better stay with Christ. And it's used as a tool to make sure that, well, we don't want to fall away from Christ. It's not necessarily what that means. Given the context of it, what's it mean? He's talking about the rapture, more than likely. In context, he's talking about the gathering together with him as in verse 1 and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He comes down and says, wait a minute, that day, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ isn't going to happen until the falling away comes first, the standing apart. Then the man of sin is revealed. That's the Antichrist, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That happens halfway through the Great Tribulation period. Three and a half years into it, you can read it in Revelation, you can read it in Matthew 24, 15, or you can read it in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. all talks about the same event. When everybody who thought this is the Messiah, in other words, they've rejected Christ, they're looking for a man like Moses. We think he's going to be the Messiah. Hey, there's this guy, and boy, he's nice, and he's figured out the whole Middle East peace process. He's building us the temple. Everybody's okay with it. And then three and a half years into it, he decides to sit in this temple and say, I'm God. And that's when everybody thought he was the Messiah. says, oh man, we better get to the hills. We better run for our lives because he just blasphemed the Lord. He's not God. That's what he's talking about. That's not going to happen. This Antichrist isn't going to, or the Christ isn't coming until the Antichrist is revealed and well before, or well after, uh, the rapture takes place. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? (laughs) Maybe you did, Paul, but you were only there three weeks. Now, I'm not giving him a hard time, but it's kind of hard. Can you imagine sitting under Paul's teaching? We have a hard enough time staying awake for a little hour teaching or 45-minute teaching on a Wednesday night. Sometimes we're like, oh, God. Paul would teach for six hours to 12 hours at a time. And they would fall asleep out of the top of buildings and fall out and die. Remember poor Eutychus at one of his teachings. Overwhelmed by the fumes, sitting in the window trying to get some fresh air, standing in the back, you know, trying to stay awake or whatever. After, and then he gets this guy alive again, brings him back in, and he continues to teach. And so Paul says here, and I'm giving him a little bit of a hard time, don't you remember I told you about this? You told us a lot of stuff, man. I mean, we just got saved. <laughs> what he's trying to get across here is I, I'm repeating, and it's a good thing he does, what I've already shared with you. I'm repeating this. Um, this is something you've heard before, and I'm reiterating. We haven't changed our doctrine. This is nothing new. What you're feeling, the persecutions. Other people may have come in and told you that what we taught you was wrong or Maybe you forgot what we taught you, but either way, this is still the case. And now you know what is restraining, what is keeping back all of these things from coming about. What is restraining? That he, this man of sin, 
that's a small h, so he's not talking about God, that he, the man of sin, may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He's going to change this lawlessness into a person, so that lawlessness is a person, or the spirit of that person, is already at work. Only he, Jesus, who now restrains, or the Holy Spirit, who now restrains, there's a capital H there, he who now restrains will do so until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, there it is, so there's the spirit of lawlessness is already at work. We know that, that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. This goes right along with the rest of Scripture. But when the one who does this lawlessness, he is the lawless one, the Antichrist, uh, one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Okay. This is he who restrains, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that needs to be removed. Here's the thing. Yeah, people get saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. And people do get saved in the Great Tribulation period. The work of the Holy Spirit is still in force. But what is restraining right now is the Holy Spirit in the church, in the body of Christ. And so when he is removed, when the church is removed, that restraining force, the salt and light that we are by the power of the Holy Spirit, when that gets taken away in the rapture, all darkness fills in that hole. Chuck describes it and many other preachers describe it this way. It's like sticking a finger in the water there a bucket of water, and it, it, it's, got, it's doing its job. It's displacing that water, but when you remove it, there's no hole. <laughs> it just gets immediately filled in by that water. That's what it's like. When the church is removed, everything that was restraining is gone. Then the lawless one's revealed. And so we are not looking as a church, as the body of Christ, for the Antichrist. A lot of people are. I think he might be the Antichrist. I think he might. We're not going to see the Antichrist get revealed. The church is raptured before that takes place because the Holy Spirit is raptured before he can reveal himself. So there's our doctrine, and that's solid for us to hold on to. It keeps us straight. You'd be surprised. Oh, this is kind of a minor thing. Do I really need to know this stuff? I mean, I'm just trying to not this, you know, cuss anymore. <laughs> I'm working on that right now. Do I really need to know this? Paul thought it that important that these folks here, this brand new church, get this down to know this in their heart, to have this straight in our heads. Jesus died on the cross, filled us with the Holy Spirit, then he ascended into heaven, said he's making a place for us, go to Jerusalem, filled with the Spirit, live our lives, but what we're looking for is the rapture or our death, one of the two is going to take place, and then, and then the Antichrist gets revealed, and then the great tribulation period, and then and it's on purpose because you can't stop cussing, you can't stop your sin, you don't understand that that's the smaller works that the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives without understanding this. This has to be straight in our heads. We have to get this right in our hearts so we understand that. So hopefully we have it. Um, hopefully we've got that down. We understand that a little bit better. And Paul is laying this out for them so that they can continue to grow because it will stunt your growth if we don't understand this stuff. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Satan shows up, this Antichrist shows up, with all of the power that any of the old prophets had. But it's not from God, it's from Satan. He's going to have all power with signs and lying wonders. They're not true wonders, they're lying wonders. He'll do anything. And we have to keep that in mind. This power of the Holy Spirit is great, but it's to bring people to Christ. 
the power of the Antichrist or the power of the unholy spirit as we see working here is to bring people to Satan. That's how I know. That's how we know. Is it a lying wonder or is it a truthful wonder? Is it a lying sign or is it a truthful sign? Is it God's power or Satan's power? Where does it bring people? Does it bring people to themselves? Does it bring people to the preacher? Or does it bring people to Jesus? Okay, um, That's how you can tell the difference between those things. And it only comes to those who did not receive the love of the truth. That's who it comes to. He doesn't say that it's going to come to everybody, but only those. No, because all those who receive the love of the truth are gone. They've been taken away. Um, and it comes to those um, that they might be saved. Um, those who come to the truth are saved. We're, we're saved from that. Um, so important to understand. We're not only saved from eternal damnation or eternal judgment or eternal destruction like we read tonight. We're saved from it now. I don't have any of God's wrath waiting for me. None of it. Understanding that helps you steer clear of groups of people that teach that God died for some of your sins but not for all of your sins. That's not biblical, and it keeps you from that. It protects you from that. God's Word keeps us from falling into that mindset that I know that He paid for my mortal sins, but He hasn't paid for my venial sins. That's not biblical. He's paid for all of our sins. We have none of God's wrath resting upon us. It was all placed at the cross. It protects us from cults. It protects us from groups that are, well, they, they arrest the people to their fellowship. They arrest the people to their niche. It keeps people bound because if you don't stay here, oh, I, don't know, I, can't, I can't vouch for your eternity anymore. That's so unbiblical. It keeps us from that. This doctrine, this understanding that Paul is trying to give to the Thessalonians keeps them from becoming um, a slave or in bondage to these groups that are coming in telling them they're in big trouble. Paul's saying, you're not. You're okay. God's died on the cross for your sins. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be con uh, condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's the great deception to the unbelievers. Now, we know that as we go through Revelation 6 through 19, which is the great tribulation period, people get saved. People don't receive the mark. People are martyred. John sees those martyred in the great tribulation period, obviously that weren't believers and didn't go up in the rapture, go through it, see him sitting on the throne at three and a half years, like, oh, he is the Antichrist. We've made a big mistake. They come to Jesus and they get martyred for their faith and John sees them martyred during the great tribulation period and standing before God. So understand that. Um, but the rest, there's a strong delusion. It's not going to be easy. That should worry you if you're one of those people who say, I'm just going to wait till the Antichrist comes and I'll wait three and a half years into it and I'll see if he sits up there. And when I see that, boy, you bet I'll be the first one in line for Jesus. It's not that easy. There's a strong delusion. There's going to be a lot of people weeping and gnashing their teeth. You gnash your teeth because you're angry at the person. That's where that gnashing of teeth comes from. They're not, even though they feel that pressure from God, they feel the punishment from God, they don't, they don't repent they gnash their teeth at it. That's that strong delusion he's talking about because they didn't believe the truth. I tell you, you don't believe the truth, you're open to anything. You'll be open to anything. It's amazing what um, common sense, um, and Jesus Christ is common sense. Believing in the gospel is just common sense. 
Um, when you reject that, it's amazing what you'll come up with on your own or from other people, what you'll receive. Be careful. Um, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. There it is again. Uh, we just have to, brethren, beloved, beloved of the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't help it. As I think about all these people that are going to go through these difficult things, as I just wrote all this, Paul says, when I think about you guys, oh, we're just so glad you've been saved. We're so glad you're standing where you stand in, in God. It's such a blessing. Um, and you have no idea how big a blessing it is because uh, they've seen it. We're so glad for you. Therefore, because of all this, brethren, stand fast and hold the tradition which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle whether you heard it from our mouths when we were before you or in the epistles that we've written afterward. Now, that's all we have. We don't have Paul speaking to us. He doesn't, he's not a guest speaker. Wouldn't that be something? Well, I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't. <laughs> he's pretty... I'd like to read Paul. I don't know if I'd like to meet him necessarily. I'd like to say I'd be able to do that, you know? I'd be able to go with Paul. I don't know. He's pretty... Anyway, there's a lot of improvement in my life. Let's put it that way that needs to be done before I'd want to meet Paul or be alongside of him. I don't think I could be a Timothy necessarily, but I'd like to be. Um, we don't have that. We don't have his word. We've never heard it, but we do have it written down. And I believe through all the epistles and all the New Testament, we have the totality of what Paul taught. We believe that. that it has been canonized for us and that we can read it all. In other words, if there's anything that goes against what we've read in the Bible, I don't have to believe it. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. So that's how I judge everything. If what you say is true, it'll line up. I'll know it's not true when it doesn't line up. I don't care what any, uh, I don't care what any church or man teaches or priest or whoever. Not try to put too fine a point on it. I don't. That's great if you teach that, and it lines up with God's word. I will go to every one of your masses or any one of your ceremonies. It doesn't make any difference as long as it lines up with God's word. We're good. It's when it doesn't. It's when it doesn't, and that's when we depart. That's when I leave. It's like ah, oh, you know, that's not what it says. I'm sorry. Um, I'm not sorry. Um, I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's awkward, but I absolutely reject that. I went to a church with Jenny at Sioux City right when I got saved. Super tender, super soft. Didn't know, I didn't know anything about God. All I knew is I was saved. John 3.16, I had that down. I knew that. We went to this church, and it was a Christian church, non-denominational. But they got up, and they started doing stuff that just, I just knew it was wrong. Teaching things, I just knew it. They were talking about how it was a health and wealth group, you know. Um, we thought it was just an on-fire, spirit-filled place, which we were really hungry for. We wanted that, you know. Um, and so we looked for that. We thought that was more important than solid doctrine necessarily. We didn't, we didn't check out their teaching. We didn't check out, check out their belief in the Bible. We checked out whether they were, you know, dancing and raising hands and singing and clapping and loud. And, oh, you know, we really need that. Because we'd come from a church that wasn't like that. So we went to this place and visited it. And I left halfway out of the service I was blubbering like a baby. I was so mad, but I was so sad. I was so broken. I was so moved against what they were teaching. And poor Jenny and I, Jenny had to follow me out, you know, and she's like, you know, what's going on? I'm just like, oh, bleh, bleh, bleh. And I got out of the parking lot, bleh, 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 and I got in the car, and she's like, oh, oh. I'm like, it was just really affected me. I was just wanted it to be right. I want both, you know? I want both. I tell you what, if you've got to choose, which I pray that we never have to choose, solid doctrine, spirit-filled, 
over hype any day. I love being loud. I love to raise my hands, and I love to move a little bit when I'm singing. Try not to move too much in the front row. Sit in the back, raise my hands, do a little bit of that. I don't want to be the guy in the front doing this, so everybody's going, why is he doing that? This is a weird place. But when everybody's doing it, you're not so weird. So this Sunday, I want you all swaying like a palm tree. Just kidding. I want solid doctrine. I want solid teaching. And so he lays that out for them. Hold fast, stand fast in the traditions of which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Okay? Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. That's all he had to say to them. Now, he's going to, chapter 3, we're not going to get to tonight. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. He's going to go into what he wants them to pray for him. We probably could get through it, but I'd rather not rush through it. Um, I'd like to take my time here. Um, Paul wants them to have comforted hearts. He wants them to be, have good hope and grace. He wants uh, good works for them, every good work. Um, he wants that all. He wants lasting consolation. He says all that because it's trying to be ripped from them. It's the only reason he writes that stuff down. It's being taken from you. I don't want that. My heart for you, and the reason I wrote this letter, is that you would have lasting, everlasting consolation. That you'd never doubt your faith or what Christ has done for you. I pray that there'd be good hope by grace, not by anything else, but by grace. I pray that grace would bring you good hope. I hope your hearts are comforted and established by the every good word and work. I want that for you, you know. Um, it strengthens us to be using our spiritual muscles to hear it and to go do it. It helps us when we pump iron, spiritually speaking, um, when we tell people about Jesus, when we uh, help a brother or sister, or when we help a dumb squirrel. It is good for us to do these things, to have that compassion and let it come out of us, um, to have that empathy and sympathy for those around us. He wants us to do that, and that builds us up. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the encouragement that it is to us. Thank you for Paul's heart for this church. He didn't leave them floundering. He knew that they were having struggles and difficulties in some areas doctrinally, and it was affecting other areas of their life because they didn't understand the rapture. They didn't understand the second coming of uh, your second coming, Jesus. They didn't understand the great tribulation and the verses the tribulations they were going through, and he straightened that out for them. So they understood that the persecution wasn't from God, it was from Satan trying to squash them, and the church was thriving under that pressure, thriving under that fire that was trying to uh, annihilate them, but it actually built them up. And God, I pray the same for us. Lord, the church has never, never diminished during persecution. It's only grown. We think about China. We think about their home churches. Once communism took over that, country, how the pressure on the Christians to stop being Christians and to try to burn down the churches and to stop the move of your, work, your, your move in that country, the church flourished and is flourishing right now and growing by leaps and bounds. It's exponentially growing. We thank you for that. Lord, we don't wish that upon us, but Lord, we definitely don't want apathy. We don't want complacency. We don't want to be lethargic and sleepy, God. So whatever it takes, keep us awake. We'd rather just stay awake without the persecution. We'd rather be on fire without that. But, um, boy, if it's, if it's a choice between the two, being lukewarm or, or on fire for you, God, we'll take the on fire no matter how it has to come. Please. So we thank you for your word.
we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we want to pray that right now. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, each and every one of us? Would you baptize us with your Holy Spirit that we might have power when we serve you, that we might have power when we show your grace and your love to those around us, that we might have power, Lord, that it might be backed up with something other than our intellectual ability to explain it, God, but that there would be power behind it, that people would be changed, Lord. That's our heart. We want everybody saved around us, and Lord, so by your power, by your gifts, that you give us by your Holy Spirit, we pray that we'd be effective for your kingdom. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. Lord, fill them with your spirit. Fill them with grace and mercy and your love for one another and for those around them. And uh, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the teachers that have shared with our kids tonight. Pray that you'd refresh them um, as they spent themselves today preparing, teaching. Um, They're going to need a fresh filling of you as well. Would you do that for them, God? We thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, we'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night.